Hey, I wanted to, uh, the, to give a special shout out um, to my father-in-law. He's a uh, happy Father's Day, Pa. Could you, you want to stand up there real quick? Um, my dad passed away in March of 2000, and, and this guy's been a tremendous influence on my life. He's just been a blessing to our family, and he gave me the greatest gift any man could give me, and that was his daughter, uh, my wife Kimberly, uh, and I, we just celebrated our 26th anniversary. We're in year 26, right? How am I doing? <laughs> and uh, we have never used the D word in our house. Divorce is not an option. Uh, murder, though, <laughs> she's probably thought about that quite a few times. So, uh, but anyway, happy Father's Day. Uh, it, is, it is my privilege and my honor to spend the next few moments with you. Uh, as I mentioned, Pops passed away in 2000. And he loved God. He served uh, as a missionary in Papua New Guinea for 14 years. And then uh, he also served as a pastor on the west side of Long Beach in Southern California for 30 years at a, as a congregational minister. And I wish I could say that, that Dad and I had a close relationship. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, I didn't begin connecting with my dad until I was in my mid-20s. Part of that, I should say most of that was, a lot of that was just me. You know, kids, they think they know everything. Um, and uh, he kind of did his thing, I did my thing. But as, as I grew older, and especially when I came to the Lord, when I gave my life to Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, uh, I wanted to really get to know my dad a little bit better. He was a very, very spiritual man and, uh, and, an, and, and an amazing influence in my life. Uh, Dad always had some one-liners that he'd use on, use on me, and I, I loved a lot of them. A few of them I didn't care for, like the one day he said, don't embarrass the family. Uh, but a lot of them were, were instructive one-liners. And one of them, I'll never forget uh, what he said to me when he learned that I became a follower of Jesus, and then he learned that I was starting to preach. He was a little concerned. And uh, it's a phrase that, that has become a part of the fabric of my life, and, and, and one that I kind of hear him saying in the background in a lot of situations that I find myself in. And, and, and this is the phrase that he, that, he, that he gave me. He says, son, don't try to be amazing. Just be faithful. Don't try to be amazing because you're not. Not very impressive. Just be faithful. And I, I wanted to borrow that for our conversation this morning as the title to my sermon. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we know, as we, even as we worshiped uh, this a few moments ago, God, that you are amazing. And so, God, this, uh, this morning as we kind of look at your word, Lord, thank you that you can use the foolishness of preaching to reveal your heart. And I pray that be the case to all of us in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said, amen. amen. I love the Old Testament. Uh, and one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in the book of Exodus. It's a story narrative about a, about a young man who ends up being an older guy and, and, and uh, an amazing leader. His name was Moses. And we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3, and I want to take a few thoughts out of his life that we can hopefully apply to our lives today. Exodus chapter 3 should be on the screens for you. And I need a little crowd participation. It's getting a little bit late in the, in the, uh, early, in the after, early in the afternoon, late in the morning. And so I, I want to invite you to read these verses along with me. So uh, you'll see them on there. Verse 1, we'll start. Ready? Go. Everybody together. One day, Moses was tending the flock. He led. There. Moses stared in amazement. 
Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now, I'm sure you know, at this time Moses is about 40 years old. Actually, he's, he's 80 years old at this particular time, in this instant. And he'd been, in the, in the, been a shepherd in the desert for about 40 years. He's probably seen a few bushes that have burnt and kind of spontaneous combustion kind of thing, but never ever had he seen a bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And so that would kind of catch your attention, wouldn't it? And then he goes closer to the bush to kind of see what's going on, and then he hears his name coming out of the bush. Now, that might make you freak out a little bit. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd be a little concerned. But, if, but I wanted to set the stage for, for, for this conversation that's taking place in chapter 3 of Exodus between God and Moses. I want to take you back to the Nile River in chapter 2, actually chapter 1 and 2 of Exodus, is the story of a, of a nation, the Hebrew nation, that it, uh, if you remember Joseph, uh, his brothers have passed on, and now another, another king has come into power that doesn't know anything about Joseph or all the wonderful things that he did. And, and then this new king, this new Egyptian king, is concerned about the growth of the Israel nation. And so he says, there's a way we got to stop the growth of these guys because they're going to turn on us one of these days. And they're going to kind of link up with our enemies and, and just run us over. And so the king decided, uh, put an edict out that we're going to enslave uh, the Hebrews. And so they did that. They enslaved the Hebrews and they were brutal to the Hebrews. And one of the things that they did, there were several methods that they used to try to control them. And one of them was by killing the Hebrew boys try to control the population growth. And, uh, and, and that, was, that, was a pretty, that was a pretty amazing uh, that, that they'd even do that. Moses is born during that time uh, and when male babies were being killed. His mom and dad had him until he was about three months old. Uh, and when they couldn't hide him any longer, they put him in a waterproof basket and floated him down the Nile River. And hiding in the reeds was his, his sister, Moses' sister, as she watched uh, from a distance as her baby brother floated helplessly down the Nile. Downstream, the king's daughter, uh, the pharaoh's daughter, was bathing, and her servant girls discover the, the basket and find a baby inside there. And the king's daughter adopts the Hebrew baby, names him Moses, and raises him in her home as her son. So that's kind of like the backdrop. Forty years later, he's been raised as a prince of Egypt, uh, educated, schooled, and all that stuff. Uh, he's now 40 years old, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives. So Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. He, I mean, he also had a sense of God's calling on his life. The, 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 the Bible doesn't exactly come on say that straight out, but, but his actions kind of infers that. One day Moses was 40 years old. He decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel, he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. He basically, he saw a, uh, an Egyptian brutalizing uh, an Israelite or a Hebrew person. So Moses, apparently, he's thinking, okay, this is my shot. I've been preparing. I've been educated by the brightest minds. I've been prepared by the strongest military. This is the moment that God has called. I'm going to take care of business right now. So he steps in, and he basically kills the Egyptian. Acts 7:24. Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumes now at this time that his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. So Moses is thinking, this is my shot right here. This is it. I've been preparing. This, this is the scene. It's set that God has sent me to rescue them. 
Unfortunately, that's not the way the, the Israelites saw it. The next day, Moses sees two Hebrew slaves fighting each other, and he decides to continue in his self-appointed Hebrew hero role by kind of stopping and become a peacemaker. So uh, verse, verse 27 in Acts chapter 7, he tries to break a fight up, and, and the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Exodus talks about how um, Moses killed the Egyptian and then kind of buried him in the sand. He said, is that what you're going to do? When Moses heard this, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later in the desert near Mount Sinai. So Moses realizes that murdering the Egyptian was a bad idea, especially since the Hebrews don't see him as the new guy. And, and then he ditches his self-appointed Hebrew hero role and he runs for his life uh, with the Egyptian police hot behind him. Eventually he ends up in a remote town on the backside of the desert near Mount Sinai and gets married, has a couple of kids and becomes a shepherd. Interesting, just a side note, Egyptians despise shepherds. They thought that the, the, the sheep were worthless for eating and also for sacrifice. And Moses goes from being a prince to becoming a shepherd. And so for the next 40 years, he's, 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 he's doing the shepherd thing back in the backside of the desert. So now we're back at Exodus 3 where we left the 80-year-old Moses at the burning bush having this conversation with a tree. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5 to 17. Again, we get to read together the word of God. Join me. Ready? Go. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, all kind of ites. Look. I pause there for a second. Thank you for reading along with us. At this juncture, the Hebrews had been enslaved for approximately 430 years. Moses was very familiar. He was there. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He saw how they were brutalizing the Israelites. Very familiar. And so here's God. He says, here's, I've come down. I'm going to send. I'm going I'm to rescue the Israelites. And guess what? You're the man. So that ought to make him happy. But apparently he didn't. Verse 11. Read along with me. But Moses protested God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered. I will be with you, and this is your sign sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel, tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, 
Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. We're almost done. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I've promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to the land flowing with milk and honey and the land where all the ice live. <laughs> Let's just stop there. So Moses has this extraordinary encounter with God, the living God. And he's given an assignment like never, that's never been done for it. Never, I mean, basically, God is telling you, hey, Mo, here, here's how it's going to work out. I'm going to send you into the most powerful nation in the world. And you're going to have an audience with the, with the most powerful king in the world. And I'm going to ask you to release, ask, I'm going to, you're going to tell him to release all of the Hebrews. Translation, the labor force. They need to come with you. Okay? And, and I understand it's going to affect their economy just a little bit. Might affect their standard of living. Might affect the way that they've gotten used to, you know, doing life. But that's what I want you to do. All right? You got that, Moses? What do you think he's going to say? We said, that is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Right? I mean, that's kind of a tall order. But here's the deal. God assures Moses that he will have success if he continues to remember that God is with him. He said, I'm, I'm, Moses, I'm with you, just like I was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I am who I am. Essentially, God's message to Moses then and a thought that I want to carry this morning is don't try to be amazing. Just be faithful. Don't try to be amazing. Just be faithful. So, so what does being faithful look like? What does it look like? I have a few thoughts from Moses' life that, that addresses this. Being faithful looks like growing in our relationship with God. When you read the narrative of Moses' life and journey of faith, it becomes clear that Moses had an active and growing relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 11, Moses is listed in the hall of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. Verse 6, and it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. Another version of the scripture said those who diligently seek him. And then it talks about Moses as they go down the list. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I love the way that Daniel describes that if we grow in our relationship with God, this is what happens. Listen to what Daniel says. The people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits. Another version says those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. The word know there in the original it implies intimacy. Just like Adam knew Eve. So knowing or having an intimate relationship with God is, is, is the is the first step into having a strong outcome in your life. 
Those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. And it's amazing to me that God initiated the relationship with Moses. He didn't say, hey, shepherd. He said, hey, Moses. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He's initiating the relationship with, with Moses. And I submit to you that he's, if you're a follower of Jesus, you weren't looking for God. You were busy being dumb. You were. You are just doing whatever, whatever stupid thing you were doing. And God all of a sudden begins to reveal to you yourself, perhaps, and certainly who he is. And then we came to our senses. It was like, whoa, I'm not a Christian or I'm not a follower of God. I'm jacked up. Right? Some version of that. Because <laughs> I remember when I was, I, I, I was raised, my dad was a pastor, missionary. I was raised around the church. I actually thought I was a believer. If you followed me with a, with a hidden camera, you'd think, that boy is, man, he is messed up. He's twisted. And I was. But in my brain, I thought I was straight. I thought I was right. But in my actions and in my lifestyle, whoa, train wreck. I wasn't looking for God. And then things began happening. God just began to kind of un- unpack some things for me, reveal me to me. And I remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus at Oregon State. I remember this preacher speaking. I'm thinking to myself, either he is lying or I'm going to hell. That's what it boiled down to. Guess what? He wasn't lying. And that was the first time I, I was like, man, Lord, I'm not, even, I'm not even close. And for the first time in my life, God reaching out to me, I had the opportunity to respond to his grace And he's been working on me ever since, helping me grow in my relationship with him. 2 Corinthians, here's the hope for us. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised from the dead, raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who has given their life over to Jesus, anyone who has embraced the grace and the mercy of God, this is what it says. This means that anyone who's done that has become a new person. Everybody say new person. New person. The old life is gone. Everybody say old life is gone. Old life is gone. So if some of the old life is still there, guess what? You are not a new person. I'm just, right? So if you got some old stuff hanging on, fix it. Pastor Roger, you're yelling at me this morning. Sorry. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. That's the great news for us. A new life has begun. Man, it was kind of hard getting used to that new life because I kind of like the old life, some parts of it. But by the grace of God, he reformed and reformatted me. A new constitution, a new core, a new ultimate intention. Being faithful involves growing in our relationship with God. And Moses, if you look at his life, reveal that truth. Second thought this morning is being faithful looks like loving what God loves. Loving what God loves. Israel was enslaved. The Egyptians were ruthless, brutal, slave masters. Israel cried out to the Lord and he heard their painful pleas for deliverance, for relief, for freedom. Now, let's make a connection to the 21st century. People are enslaved to sin today. They are. Satan is a brutal taskmaster. The scriptures describe him as a deceiver and a destroyer. That's what it says in John chapter 10. It's on the screen for you. The thief's purpose, Satan's purpose, is to steal. Everybody say steal. steal. 
kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. I don't care how you paint that picture. I don't care what kind of frosting you put on that cake. It is still to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the ultimate intention that the enemy of our soul has. But, thank God for the but in this book, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus said. Huge difference. And there's a possibility that some in this room are fighting addictions and habits that have controlled them for years, some decades. That's possible. They've been held hostage. I've got good news for you. If you call on God, if you cry out to him, he will hear you. And if you humble yourself, he'll work it out. Because he's amazing. The Israelites were at a breaking point. Couldn't see any way out. Slavery for 430 years. Generations before them had died as slaves. No reason for hope. I've been a slave all my life and I'll die never tasting freedom. But God heard their cries. But God heard their cries and he cared about them. Here's what Exodus 3, 7, 8 says. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptian and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. That's what he said. You know, there's a lot. I believe there's a lot of things that God likes. Nature, stars, all this stuff. Likes likes animals, and, and there are a few things that he really loves. And we're, at the, we're near the top. God loves people. He is the ultimate loving father. John 3.16, you've heard that scripture, you've been to church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life, everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but that the world through him might be rescued, might be delivered, might be set free. The shackles might be broken off. The blinders would be gone away. Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 in the 36 verses, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. I've heard it said before from this pulpit and other places that God didn't come to steal your pain. I mean, your fun, he came to take away your pain. Didn't come to take away your fun, came to take away your pain. And listen to Jesus' word. He's quoting Isaiah 61. In Luke 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's why he has come. And if you find yourself in that place, that's why he had come for each one of us. Jesus chose the parable of the prodigal to give us a glimpse of what God's love looks like. Give us a, a feeling of, of what God loves. If you recall, the prodigal son disrespected his dad by demanding his inheritance. He then took and blew it all on prostitutes and partying, and when he hit rock bottom, he came to his senses and decided, man, I, what am I doing? I'm going to return home and, and beg my father for forgiveness. 
You see the story in Luke chapter 15. So he, the prodigal, got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. God absolutely reveals his love for us in that picture. I love that picture. And I don't know where you are or what, what, where you find yourself in terms of your relationship with God or maybe some things have just kind of messed you up. Man, there's a God that loves you so much that if you would just even move towards him, he'll run and embrace you. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals. In other words, we're restoring him back to full spot. He's, he gets a seat back. We're restoring him fully. And bring the fattened calf out and the pigs and the chickens. Bring them all out. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son was, of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Love what God loves. My prayer is that Jesus would give me, would give you, give us, as a church family, a heart that cares for and is concerned about the things that God cares for and is concerned about. That we would love the things that God loves. God isn't looking for us to be amazing. He's looking for us to be faithful. My final thought for us this morning is being faithful looks like going when and where God tells us. Exodus 3, 8 through 12. Again, God emphasizing, I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, talking to Moses now, and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I'll be with you. I, you know, I understand. If I was Moses, I don't know if I'd be having a conversation with God. I'd be like running the other way. He says, who am I? And God's answer to, you know, it's interesting that God's answer to Israel's cry is an 80-year-old washed up, Shepherd with a jacked up past. Not exactly the hero you're looking for to come and rescue you. God called Moses to go. Wasn't Moses' idea was God's compassion for the oppressed and enslaved. And he's the same God today. He wants to work in and through us to set people free. But he needs our willingness to go. We have to be willing to go. You've heard the scripture, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, before he ascended, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Everybody say, therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's what the scripture is telling us. Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure I am with you even to the end of the age. I shared this uh, last service. Uh, as mom was ebbing away um, in January, I was at her bedside and I recorded some conversations. You know, I say, you know, some things that she wanted to say. My mother, she passed away in January. And one of the things that I recorded, I'll, I'll never forget, she said a couple of things actually. She goes, son, you have to live in love. 
And he was talking about the relationship with my siblings, with my kids. Um, she said, live in love. And then she goes, the ministry is hard. The ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is hard. She goes, but he will never leave you or forsake you. That doesn't apply just to preachers. It applies to businessmen. It applies to students. It, it applies to counselors. It, it, it applies to coaches. Because we are all in the ministry. This just happens to be my station of ministry. I will with, be with you always to the end of the age. If you're a follower of Jesus, then I submit to you that you and I are called to go and make disciples. You and I are called to go. Horizon Community is a go church. We are a go people. That's why, we have, that's why we've been in the education business for 30 years. That's why we built this campus, and that's why we have a high school. That's why almost two dozen of our young people are in Cambodia right now, going to be there for about a week and a half to two weeks. That's why young adults like Sarah, Luke, Brooklyn, Tiffany, John, and David are on the mission fields right now. That's why you're employed where, you're, where you are. That's why you started your business. That's why you're in that school. That's why you're a homemaker. That's why you're in that career path. That's why you're so good in music or theater or visual arts. That's why we gather together each week to celebrate the goodness of God. We are called to go, not to stay. Romans 10 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how, can, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Now, my family makes fun of my feet. They say I got jacked up feet. I, Bible tells me I got beautiful feet. You may say, yeah, but I don't and I must. Have, you know, you can fill in the blank, whatever excuse you might have. Got an excuse? Take a number and get in line. Moses had a ton of seemingly good reasons not to go. He was a fugitive, 80 years old, married with kids, a shepherd, not a negotiator. He had a speech impediment. Huge credibility gap with the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Nobody had ever done what he was being asked to do. He had all kinds of reasons to ditch. And God didn't get upset at Moses for accentuating the obvious. Note to Moses, God knew who he was calling out. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He said, Moses. He knew, who, he knew who he was dealing with. Psalms 139. I love that, that chapter in, in, in the book of Psalms. Read it sometime. It's about you. Read it. Basically, if I could boil it down, it, it, it simply says God designed and created you on purpose, I on purpose, with a purpose. That's what we've been designed to do. God knew Moses, and he was okay with it. I'm not asking you to be amazing, Moses. I'm asking you to be faithful. I'm not interested in you because you are not amazing. You actually are getting on my last nerve. 
Let's make a deal, Mo. I'll be me, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-amazing, and you be you, whatever that is. But, but, but seriously, I want, you to, I want you to be faithful. Just lean on me, trust me, follow me, listen to me, and you're going to be okay. I'll do amazing, you do faithful. You may find yourself in a situation where you're financially like, oh, my goodness. Hey, hold up. I'll be amazing, you be faithful. There might be a relationship that you're in that's gone south. It's fractured or maybe it's broken. God is saying, I'll be amazing. You just be faithful. Perhaps there's a dream that God has dropped in your heart and you're like, man, how in the world? Hey, all I'm asking you is to be faithful. I'll take care of the amazing. God is really good at being amazing. Did you know that? He's really good at it. In case you haven't figured it out. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Faith by faith, Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I love what Pastor Stan says. He's used this several times. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the overcoming of fear. I'd like to add to that: it's the willingness to engage in the uncomfortable, unconventional. And sometimes dive headlong into the unknown. That's what courage is. A thought for us today. Don't let your past success or failure determine your level of obedience to God and his call on your life today. Do not let your past successes or failures determine your level of obedience to God and his call on your life today. There's too much on the line. Too much is on the line. God is not asking us to be amazing. He's got that covered. But he is asking us to be faithful. And being faithful looks like growing in our relationship with God, loving what God loves, and going when and where God tells us 